bottom mic, Mike. Bottom mic. Furry bears. We bought a feud. A Daddington. Three Daddington. We bought a. Spanish auteur filmmaker. Hello, and welcome to We Bought a Mic. Thank you. A pop culture podcast where every week we talk film, TV, music, television, cinema. Mm-hmm. And with a healthy mix okay. of fun banter and careful critical analysis. Come Whoa. on. There we go. Okay. We all know it. Worried. We all know it. They're all waiting for you to say it. I'm Ernest. I am definitely running for an Oscar Hunter Mobley. Ooh, and I don't have a name. Uh, we have a we have a big week this week in terms of things to cover. We are finally going to talk about Paddington Two, the film that is almost two years old um, <laughs> at this point. But I chose it as the film that everyone had to see who lost the summer movie wager. Mm-hmm. So this will kind of uh, pay uh, the dues for that. What about everyone else? I think a lot of the other people have seen it. If not, you better fucking see it if you're listening yeah, to it. And this. if you have seen fucking, it, see it again. It's fucking it's good. It's Ernie did everyone a favor. Mm-hmm. You it could was a mercy you, pick. Yeah, you could have been truly shitty to all of us. Oh, just wait till I win the Oscar pool. You guys uh-huh. are going to suffer. I mean, we did also watch Claude Atlas. We're going to watch uh, <laughs> Literally, none of us wanted to. I don't even remember why. That was a that great no movie. It we was very no woke. reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into Paddington, we got to talk about some catch-up. And some news, mm. because there is one item of news that we have been avoiding up until this point, and we got to talk about it, because Martin Scorsese wrote an opinion piece <gasps> for the New York Times that kind of somewhat put the final nail in the coffin of this thing. So if you're not familiar with what's been going on, essentially Martin Scorsese has been making the rounds promoting his latest picture, Mm -hmm. The Irishman, which is coming soon to Netflix and is out now in very limited release. And he gave an interview for the Empire magazine at the, um, in England. And he basically said that Marvel movies are not for him and that he doesn't like them, and that he doesn't consider cinema. And this was eaten up and regurgitated by the internet clickbait machine. And, you know, I don't like taking up time on this podcast to really get into every little nitty-gritty thing that gets posted on these nothing Twitter accounts and clickbait websites because it's all bullshit, and it kind of exists in this weird vacuum where everyone's talking about outrage that is being created by the people talking about the yeah. outrage. Well, Ernie very famously hates the fake news media. He yeah. thinks uh, it's all liberals. Right. And SJWs trying to steal my Star Wars, all that. Um, but, you know, I think it's at a point where it's worth talking about because of this New York Times piece. Well, and I mean, even leading up to this New York Times piece, because he said that he compared them to uh, theme park rides and attractions, which is a fair point. Everything that he said makes sense that he's just like this, like Marvel movies don't challenge you. They're like a theme park ride. It's just exhilarating and fun. And then it's over and you don't have to think too hard about it, which is all fair, valid criticisms of Marvel movies. People want that because it, it, 
it's such an investment to go to the movies nowadays. It's it, and, it's the money and the time. And hey, guess what? The Lighthouse isn't going to make two billion dollars. Okay, oh, no so way. <laughs> no way in hell. But the, it the also, Lighthouse is that that roller coaster that that guy designed intentionally to kill people. Have you seen <laughs> that picture? It's just nonstop loops that get smaller and smaller. I uh, no, I am. Um, but of course, this happened, and then it led to people like Coppola coming out and being very anti. Didn't wait, Marvel? Did, did Scorsese start it, or did Coppola start it? I don't know who. I started think Scorsese it. said something first, and then other film auteurs came to his defense. And our guy James Gunn is just being pathetic with it about how your movies moved me. I thought that I was making movies that would move you. It's very like yeah, right. yeah, sad boy Instagram post. He that shared a, a picture of Groot and Rocket on Instagram. And he was <laughs> with like, like sad font over it. Uh, it is, it's it's disgusting. That's on, why James. we've avoided doing this. I James. mean, look, there are people, mainly people like younger than us, but also people in our age range and older that truly have transcendent emotional reactions to marvel movies i mean i'll admit it i cried during endgame does yeah, that mean so, so, does that mean it's cinema no i probably it, not it doesn't i mean that's it's kind of the whole same thing where like there's people who are 13 who saw joker and they think that that is the most like compelling piece of filmmaking that's ever been made yeah, and like let them let them have their it's fun. fine people yeah. can just have opinions and and that's okay. And we don't need to make a war about it and over whose opinion is right. You know what would be even more startling and newsworthy is if a 70-something-year-old man came out and said, you know what? I really loved Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what if, was my what if, favorite uh, movie. What if Paul Schrader came out and he was like, bro, honestly... They're pretty fucking fire. I don't know what y'all are talking yeah, about. Yeah, that would be weird as fuck. Bro, Thor, The Dark World? <laughs> it's my favorite movie. It's like, I think John Watts really hit his stride whenever he made Homecoming. Before yeah. that, I and wasn't really feeling Mama. Of course that yeah, Marvel <laughs> movies aren't his thing. Well, and also, he's Martin if, Scorsese. If you want to be upset that he's calling it not cinema, you, I guess you can be because there are people working on the film that are hired to be artists and they do art for an art for a movie. So like if we're if you want to get technical and pedantic with it, then go for it and be angry. But maybe you just shouldn't. Well, I believe that's, that the alternative is to just not think about it too much and exactly. move on with your life. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it was Coppola was the one who actually said that it's not art, which I wouldn't go that far to say that. I it's, it is a type of art. It's a type Subjective. of art. It's not like highbrow filmmaking but they're not trying to set out to make highbrow films anyways so it doesn't really matter uh, so what are we talking about here captain america the winter soldier is a political thriller dude almost if you think about it, it's almost like civil war was like uh, uh it was a predecessor to the civil war that's happening in movies right now yep oh, that's true also so, uh, thor ragnarok is about slaves and i'm not taking any more questions colonialism about that. <laughs> i'm not going to expand at all i'm not going to say anything else uh actually um what's his name chadwick boseman uh just came out and said something about how like black panther is what uh be okay so let me actually read a um a snippet of what Martin Scorsese actually writes in his op-ed. So uh, about three or four paragraphs in, he says, For me, for the filmmakers I came to love and respect, for my friends who started making movies around the same time that I did, cinema was about revelation, aesthetic, emotional, and spiritual revelation. It was about characters, the complexity of people and their contradictory and sometimes paradoxical natures, the way they can hurt one another and love another, 
and suddenly come to face to face with themselves. So I guess there are people that see that in Marvel movies. Well, some of that is in Marvel movies. Like the thing, the end issue is every single film is some balance, some combination of both art and commerce. Right. And what he's really saying, like the the interpretation that's correct is that these movies uh, are, are unbalanced way too much in the favor of commerce, which is a very, very valid and fair critique. That's why, even though I like plenty of these movies, that's why they're not my wheelhouse or whatever. That's why I don't love here's, them. I, to he, that point, here's another bit that he says. Uh, this is a little further down. They are sequels in name, but they are remakes in spirit, and everything in them is officially sanctioned because it can't really be any other way. That's the nature of modern film franchises. Market researched, audience tested, vetted, modified, and revetted, and remodified until they're ready for consumption. And I mean, that's entirely true. How many times do we review a Marvel movie and we say, like, this is really good? It's the same thing whenever we talk about Pixar movie. Pixar has a formula, and it works. So then they just keep sticking to this formula, because why do anything different? I mean, like, I... I love, for example, I love Black Panther. Black Panther is probably like, if you're going to make the argument for Marvel movies meaning something, Black Panther is probably the one that you latch on to the uh, most. Thor the Dark World but, for me. But. Where Black Panther can scratch the surface on some important issues and bring to them to light for mass, mass audiences, it's not doing the same thing as... Uh, do the right thing or something like that like it's not it's not even really coming close it is it's important that we have things like that in mass media to have people keep in mind like hey this is an important thing that we should think about but that doesn't mean that it is necessarily to speak to this whole thing about revelations it's not exactly shedding any major light on this new Uh, like any new light we we can almost just stop here like I, this is not news. Let's stop. The this podcast. is just nothing to me. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter, does it? I think the the other it's thing that nuts. I wanted to mention is just the fact that like, if it fascinates me that there is outrage about this, because at least on my Twitter feed, I don't see the outrage. Well, at yeah, all. we. I try very hard to avoid following that type of person. Right, but it is. I guess it is out there because it keeps kind of coming up and being talked about. But it, from my perspective, it seems like the outrage is like self-perpetuating from these outlets that keep writing about it. Yeah, it gets and, clicks. Yeah, and there, there's actually no real outrage. It's just being fabricated to get people to to. To, yeah, it's like clickbait. Exactly, well, it, it, it's clickbait in that if it, Marvel wasn't the one, if it wasn't a major uh, studio that was caused out by this, if Martin Scorsese came out and been, was just like, "Hey, you know what? Like, I'm not a fan of Terrence Malick." That wouldn't have done anything. That would have yeah. just disappeared all into the, All the Malik boys are like, fuck <laughs> you! They all take to Twitter and storm. Yeah, they're wearing but like, like Brad Pitt Tree of Life masks Guess and shit. what? Guess what gets clicks on the internet? Marvel things, Anything Disney Marvel, things, yeah. Star Wars things. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. that's what gets clicked. I, so it is self perpetuating. The only the only thing close to outrage that I've actually seen is I do know a couple people. Like I used to work with a couple people who are like Marvel. Like their life is Marvel. They live in this you know prison of their own creation, uh, the prison of childhood. Right. <laughs> and they, I've seen like a couple Facebook posts that are like. You know, it's pretty disrespectful to all the hard workers that uh, put in their their blood, sweat, and tears into this movie. And it's like, yeah, they got the paid. highest they all got grossing paid. movies of all yeah. time. It's 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 fine. You're just upset because he called you a little baby and he said you pooped yeah. in your diaper. And the other thing that you got to remember is this guy is promoting a movie. 
The Irishman is running for Oscars. And this New York Times op-ed is part of that Oscar campaign. And yeah, he's saying this because The Irishman is on Netflix. And The Irishman is not getting a traditional theatrical rollout because Netflix understands that the way the industry is right now, it, it can't really put its money there because it's not a big comic book superhero movie. So you haven't seen the petitions online where over 10 million people have canceled their Netflix subscription in protest of the new Martin Scorsese movie? No way. No. It's not going to happen. (laughs) Um, And guess what? They'll probably watch it. The same people who are just like, oh yeah, you think this is the same? Go make your eighth gangster movie, Martin. Even though all of his movies are inherently different, even Mar- if they do have Martin Scorsese is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. He can <laughs> say whatever the fuck yeah. he and wants. And guess what? You know what's art? The rat at the end of The Departed. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's art. Take, take that. Anyway. And, and, well, uh, <laughs> the, the piece is going to be linked in the show notes if you want to check it out. I highly recommend it. The dude is a fantastic writer, and he brings up some really, really illuminating points about the state of the industry right now and why he feels the way he feels. Um, so check it out. Let's get to catch up. Of auteur filmmakers that have a movie coming out this year and are running for Oscars and are they are running for Oscars? Uh, this past week, I got a chance to see the new movie from Pedro Almodovar, Pain and Glory. Um, it's starring Antonio Banderas, Penelope Cruz is in it, um, and a few other uh, like bigger Spanish actors that don't really get a lot of American roles. Um, this movie is. Great, the capital G great movie. Dolor y Gloria. Um, I really, it's it's the perfect kind of Oscar movie. This is about uh, Antonio Banderas plays pretty much Pedro Almodovar is kind of like captured himself auto in a bio. role. It's a auto fiction kind of a work where he is um, a film director who's kind of past his prime and is trying to just look for inspiration wherever he can find it. And it really delves into a lot of things from Pedro's uh, personal life that I was not familiar with. Of course, Pedro Maidovar is a uh, he is an out uh, homosexual man, homosexual Spanish man, which uh, especially in Spain, uh, not nearly as liberal or as accepting of right. homosexual culture very, as it is in America. Very homophobic um, he, culture. I mean, he's had a boyfriend for years, and they still live in separate apartments from each other and stuff like that. To in this Spain. day, yeah. Oh um, man. I mean, they could probably. He lives in Madrid. I'm sure if they could move out to the countryside together, it would be okay. But um, yeah, so this is Pedro Almodovar or uh, Antonio Banderas plays the lead. Penelope Cruz plays his uh, mother figure. Um, in a series of flashbacks throughout this movie, it's just really beautiful. And I will say, Antonio Banderas probably gives the best performance of any actor I've seen in a movie this year. So mm. is he de-aged for those flashbacks? Uh, no, they have a child actor. Oh, okay. They have a child actor play him. He's it's de-aged not to play an eight-year-old boy. Yeah. Benjamin Button, <laughs> Banderas. No, I I mean, I, it's kind of incredible. Banderas has never even been nominated for an Oscar. It's, that's so crazy. It's, well, I mean, he hasn't made the best career choices these past yeah. like 10 years. But um, Spy Kids? Yeah. No, no Oscar? He was robbed for Spy Kids. <laughs> yeah. He was kidnapped. Dude, Zorro? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
he just doesn't really get a lot of roles. I mean, there was a, I was listening to an interview that he did where he was talking about how he got a job. I think that it was for, it wasn't Zorro, but it was his first uh, American movie that he made. And uh, his agent was like, hey, I got you a job. Uh, just come on out to L.A. And he was like, okay, yeah. He knows, like, I don't speak any English, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. just just fake it. He's like, I can't just fake not speaking a language. So just in the interview, he's just Gibberish. sitting there like, Shh, yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes, of course. And eventually he's like, you Unique don't speak English to you. Watermelon, <laughs> like, no. peas, and carrots. And they, he, like, his first movie, he didn't know what he was saying. He had to learn, like, the phonetics of it all and, like, almost, like, sing his lines in Yikes. a way because he didn't know the language that he was speaking. It's kind of crazy. Uh, this has happened. But so he's kind of the front runner for best actor right now, right? Yes, and he does. Like I said, it's the best kind of where you see it, and it's very clearly like an Oscar. I am running role, but he is just amazing. It's so. It's got like some really good humor to it. There's uh, multiple like drug use sequences that happen in this movie that are pretty like striking visually to watch. Um, there is. It's just has this perfect amount of heart to it, while never. Uh, feeling too oscar Beatty or pretentious in any kind of a way it's just an entertaining movie back to front good pain yeah, so and glory definitely check it out in theaters uh it's Dolor it's in like semi-wide release it's in like a few thousand theaters yeah, I'm, I'm worried if i don't catch it soon i i'll won't be able to see it on the big screen definitely go i definitely recommend seeing it in theater uh really good like sound design the stage design is amazing they shot it all in madrid um and you can tell they even like antonio banderas's apartment is an exact replica of pedro almodovar's apartment because they wanted to make it like as real as possible Oh wow! So highly, highly recommend this movie. Yeah, it's it's not doing super well uh, right now. I mean, it'll definitely be getting Oscar love. I think that two point six mil total. B Banderas has a really good chance at getting the Oscar. Um, I think that Pedro Almodovar actually has a good has a solid chance of being nominated for director. Or really? at least for screenplay, um, because I mean, think last year we had two foreign film directors Cold nominated. War yeah, between Paul Polakowski and Quaron. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is—it's a really beautiful movie. It's doing thirty mil at the box office right now, so solid. Solid. Thirty. Thirty. That's really? what I have right here. Thirty point nine million. That's a lot. Yeah, it's doing it's doing pretty good for yet again. Ernie Ernie's on his like truth seekers dot USA <laughs> over oh, there. Oh, I was looking at domestic. Yeah, foreign yeah. countries don't exist, to Ernest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Woo! that's pain and glory. Uh, let's get to a little bit of Netflix. Right. So, uh, first of all, really quick, I watched Jenny Slate's special. Uh, I don't. Fright. I don't have anything to add because I already gushed about it with you uh, last week or the week before, or whenever, without even seeing it. Yeah. Because I I have a lot to say about Jenny Slate, and the special is everything that you said it was, and that I figured it would be. It's awesome. Uh, another it's another a must watch. I would say another yeah. SNL alum and uh, favorite of mine personally, Seth Meyers. Uh, has a Netflix special out, an hour-long stand-up comedy special. Uh, it's called Lobby Baby. Uh, fun name, directed by Neil Brennan of uh, The Chappelle Show yes. fame. Not to be confused with Neil Breen. No, I wish. No, Neil Brennan <laughs> is 
if you know anything about Neil, he is like the comedy whisperer. He's the one that every major comedian goes to to run jokes by because he's like a fucking he's some kind of like wizard of comedy, evidently. Uh, so Myers got him to direct this special. Uh, this is a really, really great special. It's not uh, boundary pushing in terms of form or content uh, in any way. It's I mean, the the closest analog is someone who has a ton in common with Seth, which is John Mulaney, of course. Um, but where Mulaney is co- sort of he's pushing upward in terms of like, you know, every special he puts out now has the has the magnifying glass of like, I am the comedian. You know, I'm I'm like the guy now. Uh, Myers is starting from not quite the bottom, but like as far as stand up goes, he kind of is. And he's toured for years. He's like, you know, he's done colleges uh, he's, you know, he's been an act and I didn't know if that would transfer because, uh, plenty of the time it fucking doesn't honestly. And if you remember when he left SNL and started late night with, uh, Seth Meyers, he was starting, he did what every other late night host did. And he did monologues standing up, you know, in front of the camera and then moved over to the desk and they had to abandon him standing in any way on that show because it just was weird. Yeah. Literally, it, it was just strange to see. He didn't look comfortable. Uh, people didn't like seeing his legs. <laughs> they were they were naked. They were disgusting. Uh, so that was, I mean, when I saw that this was out, I was like, well, I, I'm, you know, I trust the guy. I'm assuming he worked out the kinks of that because it did not work out even doing a monologue the first time. Uh, and he did work out the kinks a lot better than I actually thought he would. This is quality stand-up. It's... Uh, you could call it safe. That's not something I'm particularly concerned with when it comes to stand up. I don't need my stand up to be like called triggered or whatever. Yeah. You know, and be like, you know, an hour about uh, Donald Trump Jr. Fucking millennials or whatever. Like this, this is just like down the middle, universally good stand up. He's an amazing joke writer. He was the head writer of SNL during arguably its best years. Uh, he So it's, it's well crafted jokes and his delivery is a lot more comfortable than I thought it would be. That was my main concern. Uh, he opens up like with, you know, he addresses all the elephants in the room of like, you're probably not used to this, like seeing my legs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Vulture actually wrote a really good piece about like how he frames all of the content of this special because he does something that Mulaney does sometimes too, uh, where th- this article on Vulture is called In Lobby Baby, Seth Meyers Transforms into His Truest Self, Consummate Wife Guy. <laughs> and that's true. He in this special, he is a wife guy. A lot of the material material uh, revolves around his wife, loving his wife. Uh, yeah, ah. <laughs> and there's a reason for that, though. It's not just because that's all that he has going on. It's because and he is a sketch brained writer, much like Mulaney is. And so, in order to tell a story as if it were a sketch, if he is to be the crazy one, the Kramer, the, you know, the loony one in the scene he's constructing for you, there has to be a straight man. And Mulaney does the same thing. His wife is like the level-headed, very serious one. And Mulaney is the one who's like, I'm a comedian. And this is a similar deal, uh, though not so cucked as Mulaney is <laughs> in terms of like, I'm nothing. My wife is everything. Um, it's it's really clever is, is what I'll say. Like he... He tells a lot of uh, really good, like l- lengthy stories, which a lot of stand-ups still have trouble with. Even though, like, Unless you're John Mulaney, of course, yeah, of course. But I mean, you have to be a good joke writer to tell a good story most of the time, not all the time, unless something insane happened to you. And for both of these guys, these are both these are all like you know stories worth telling and like fun stories. But they make it great by telling it great. 
you know, it's not a, it's not necessarily a story that you would be like, that's the craziest shit I've ever heard. It's not like Burt Kreischer's I'm the Machine story, which he milked for a decade, just one story of stand-up. Uh, this is just good comedy. Like, it's just, it's well-executed. It's well-directed. Uh, Neil Brennan's great. Uh, like, there's literally just nothing to fault about it unless you, you know, unless you want to call it, like, soft or, like, I'm, not. I'm curious, are, are you going to do a best of 2019 stand-up list? I could. Um, you should, because I don't Who'd know. Who'd be number one right now, Julio Torres? I don't know. I really don't know. I would have to. I, would I, have to, I did I, one for last year, um, because I actually watched enough to put to. I so far this year I haven't watched enough to put together a top ten, but I put one together for last year, and I was like, you know, this this could be something we we could do on the podcast, and this sounds like it's worthy. I it's crazy I, that between this and Jenny Slate, uh. It's their first specials, and it's Netflix giving them that platform. Yeah. I mean, I'm just glad to hear that his jokes actually do translate to a stand-up arena because I saw that it was like the new thing on Netflix, and I was a little bit hesitant. I love Seth Meyers, of course. I remember watching because I was so excited for him to get his own late-night special and then watching like the first couple weeks of him doing it and standing up, and it was really awkward, and then they just kind of – abandoned it and i mean now his uh um his uh what's it called uh not the one big thing what's his uh his whole thing the, the a closer look yeah yeah his old closer look is like one of the best uh like youtube clips of any late night special yeah it's out there he just seth i feel like gets a lot of shit sometimes rightfully for being so vanilla like aggressively likable uh but i think that he's underappreciated for that same reason i think that he is He's a guy whose chops uh, outweigh the fact that he's not, like, a fucking missile, you know, guided for one target. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, if you want, like, more proof of that, he wrote for, like, the best generation of SNL. He was the head writer on SNL. Like, he wasn't just the Weekend Update guy. He was the head writer of SNL during the glory days of SNL, and he just let other people cook and do their own thing. So it's not like—I think it's because he has this look about him, this very, like— tall slender white man persona that he has on that people don't give enough credit for yeah he's just he just looks like aggressively average like attractive enough but not attractive mm -hmm. necessarily like he just looks like a guy who would get a show through uh privilege or like not earning it like jimmy fallon i don't think <coughs> colin jost <laughs> yeah exactly jimmy fallon yeah. did not earn the tonight show and this is from a fan of late night with jimmy fallon which is a much different show but from that show he did not earn the tonight show i'll tell you that much uh, Seth Meyers would be a better pick for the Tonight Show. Like they should switch back, but that will never ever happen. Obviously, Jim, you're, you don't get demoted in late night, like unless you're Conan, <laughs> and that didn't end up too well, if you recall. Yeah, I feel like at this point Fallon has that on lock for he's gonna years and years. He'll have it unless he leaves, right? Uh, and I don't but know. But there's nothing else he could do. Yeah, I don't know if he would because. I don't know. The other, the only other option is he uh, comes out as like an alcoholic and goes to rehab, <laughs> or just give him some random shit to do on the Peacock streaming service. <laughs> so, the, and then you put someone that's actually good in the Tonight Show. Yeah, Myers, Myers is good, man. I think, I don't know. I think he gets, you know, he's lost in this sea of mediocre white dudes that he resembles so strongly, and I think that he's better than most of them. Also, his producing work on like. Uh, 
uh, documentary, documentary now. now. Yeah, he's I've written plenty of those. Yeah, didn't he produce Portlandia? I guess he, not. He's been involved with like a lot of things that Lauren has yeah, also been involved. Yeah, the Lauren stuff. Yeah, he's yeah he was Lauren's number one boy, and he was a lot of people's pick to take over the show uh, until he left the show, uh, and now that's why it's Colin Jost, at least if you ask me, which is deeply unfortunate. Boring. Deeply unfortunate. Well, uh, that's uh, Seth yeah. Meyers' uh, lobby boy. Lobby baby. Lobby baby. baby. I was thinking of Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Let go of my lobby boy. boy. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, anyway, let's talk about Watchmen real quick before tick-tock, we get to yeah, the bear. I have a big announcement for listeners everywhere. Uh, I'm caught up this week. Hell oh, yes. You are one week behind us. <laughs> yeah, I watched episode two and three of Watchmen. So, I mean, I guess so we, we can four. I'm just, I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what if I thought I was caught up? <laughs> Shit, they put out one every week? <laughs> so, yeah. if, if, it's, you, it's uh, if you don't care about Watchmen, just go ahead and press that 30-second uh, button on your podcast app and skip over to the Paddington talk. Uh, but we're going to get real deep, real spoilery with episodes two, three, and four of Watchmen on HBO. And what the fuck is happening? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and I love it. So <laughs> before we get into specifics, which there are plenty of, uh, I have a take, like an overarching take about this show that I think uh, explains w- how smart I am. When, once, I'm, once I say it, you're going to mm-hmm. be like, oh, you're smart. That's smart. Right. Um. Because I was a little critical of the pilot because I didn't like love it, love it. I liked it a lot, but I thought that there was there were issues. And the show for me is getting better by the episode almost. Like I'm I'm enjoying every episode. Do you have faith more. that it's all going to come to tie together? That it's going to make sense eventually? Yeah, definitely. I mean, plenty of yeah. I I believe that it will or. Hopefully, you know, we can end with a Lindelof style. Maybe it doesn't fully make sense, but it's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's enough that we're happy. It's about the friends we made on the island um, along the way. That said, I think that the ceiling of this show is lower than the ceiling of Leftovers, which I, that what I'm saying is that this show is not to me will never be a 10, which is fine right. because I, I mean, Leftovers, did it even have a ceiling? That's what I'm saying. That show is a, it's an anomaly because it plays to every strength that Lindelof has right. with none of the weaknesses. And this show has some of his weaknesses just baked into what he has to do with it. Uh, so it, my, my overarching thing is that his biggest strength by far is revealing information gradually uh, and sometimes by fully immersing you in a scene with zero knowledge. That's when Lindelof is making like the best yes. shit you've ever seen. Yes. When you don't have any idea who you're watching <laughs> and what they're doing. Those scenes, because those happen in Watchmen, but there's obviously going to be less of those than there are in Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, another way that the Leftovers played into this strength is by drastically changing the setting every season. Yeah. So that we got to meet a whole lot of people. And every time we did, it was some wild shit. And you this one I mean? does it like in the episode. Yeah. It's just that this every show. Every time we go to Jeremy Irons, it's like, <laughs> what? It's like, yeah. Anything with Jeremy Irons. In episode four, the way that we meet Lady True. Oh. It opens on this couple we do not know. It's like it's vaguely funny, much like a lot of the leftovers is. Mm-hmm. Um, AVD Club just put out their top hundred shows of the decade, and they really highlighted how funny the leftovers is. Kevin. And it, it's something that you can forget because I remember laughing at it a lot. But like the show knew it was funny. Yeah. It wasn't saying jokes at you, but it knew it was funny for sure. And there, whenever that's hey, going hey, on, Justin Thoreau's penis is not funny. I would okay. never. No, that's not funny. 
I don't, I don't very laugh. Very serious yeah. and artful. I don't laugh when I'm horny. <laughs> um, but that does happen in this show. Like I said, we meet Lady True anything with Jeremy Irons. It's, it's absolute nonsense. And then even when we do sort of understand it, there will be a reveal like him fishing uh, babies out of a river <laughs> yes. or a lake. Like, what the fuck And that's just, this? that's where babies come from. Well, that's where... Come from Jeremy Irons Lake. <laughs> that is... that is. My parents never told me. <laughs> that's Lindelof magic right there. When it's just... out, you Your mouth is just open and you're smiling. Much... Uh, Lindelof's best shit can be spoken of in the same breath as this new generation of directors like Yorgos or like uh, Eggers in The Lighthouse, where like he's like, it's great art and it's beautiful, but it also knows that it's funny and absurd. Uh, that's some good shit. Right. Uh, the issue is that there has to be less of it in this show because this show does have uh, a lot of tie-ins and a lot of overarching stuff and like almost police procedural style pl- plot lines. And uh, Whenever he reveals information in any other way, it's a little bit weaker. Mm-hmm. Whenever he's revealing things through, for example, us watching a slideshow that reveals things, if it doesn't feel special. It doesn't feel like a special show that would do that. But I think what the show is doing, which I find admirable, is that it's telling two stories at the same time. It's telling a new story, and it's retelling the comic book. So I think that's where some of the the shakiness comes in because it is trying to balance. Well, that's what I'm saying. There are a lot of plates in the air and it's like he he doesn't have a choice. He cannot confuse us every episode because there's too much happening in this show. This show, The Leftovers is a show that is very navel gazy in like the best way possible. But that show is just kind of like meandering around showing you a bunch of insane shit. This yeah. show doesn't have time for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely with what you're saying because I do think that the weakest parts of the show are in the monologuing, which is kind of unfortunate. Like there will be the best is like when there is like a one liner, like the one that happened last week where uh, um the whole, like, can you tell the difference between vigilantes and police and mass? Mm-hmm. Me neither. That's great. But whenever you have Regina King looking and just, like, saying, like, giving a two-minute monologue about her heritage and trying to figure stuff out, it does get a little bit clunkier. It's you, just slump, You ran yeah. this idea on me uh, pre-off-pod, and I brought up that uh, if you combine Damon Lindelof and Aaron Sorkin together, you would have the greatest screenwriter yeah. of and all time. And also the most arrogant man to Yes, ever yeah. <laughs> Because there the is the most insufferable person. Yeah. Because Damon Lindelof is like he is pretentious in his writing, and that's why I understand that a lot of people cannot get behind the Leftovers or Watchmen because it is inherently pretentious. But guess what? That's not always a bad thing. I my favorite director is David Lynch. All of his things are pretentious, but in the best kind of way. Right. And I think that Lindelof is in that same sphere where you're just you just have to trust him wholly mm-hmm. on this journey. And he's just like, I'm just gonna hold your hand and take you through this, and you just have to experience with this. And then it might make some sense yeah. at the end of the and, day. Uh, as we go on, I'm starting to f- feel that trust again with Lindelof. Where like I I understand his limitations, and I'm f- more than willing to watch this show, which is a great show. I'm willing to say at this point, uh, despite the fact that I know it's not going to reach the height that the leftovers did. Well, we don't know. I mean, so I, I far it's kind of it is a little shaky. I mean, no, it's a great show. I just think that in the DNA, it's like. Lindelof was made to make the leftovers and he I don't think in the same way he was born for this but I think that he's doing a good job but I I I feel like so far this is way stronger than season one of the leftovers yes because Um, the leftovers hit its real 
uh, just sky high greatness in seasons two and three. Seasons season one did have some fantastic moments, and it, it introduced us to this world and these characters. Um, but I think so much of it was really dark and sad and full of like morbidness that it was a little bit tough to get through. And I think it lost a lot of people. Definitely. And no, not enough people were able to yeah. witness like how transcendent that show became. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair take. Personally, I prefer season one of Leftovers to this because uh, that's that's my type of shit. Uh, more so than like comic book adaptations i don't care about those uh inherently at all i care about weird ass like moody things like leftovers even season one more than i care about this like off the bat you know what i'm curious if in in some parallel reality where a squid appeared in in new york city (laughs) if um damon lindelof made a season one adaptation of the comic book and then season two was a new story well, 30 years I, later. I mean, I think that part of that is that he has learned his lesson from The Leftovers and knows that the weakest season of The Leftovers is whenever he was adapting something versus writing something from whole cloth. And just having this is like, this is the Bible, but we're just going to make everything original. Because that's what made thing. The Leftovers so fantastic. That's what made it so good. And we kind of skip the setup, right. which is going to lose people. But they have to in, backtrack in the sense in, of yeah, of them not necessarily having things as yeah. uh, spilled out. Uh, but I did want to say I love uh, um, Lady True's edition. Hong Chow is the name of the actress. Yeah, that whole opening you might scene was very recognize her from Homecoming. Oh, is that her? Yeah, she's in Homecoming. That um, that whole scene, from opening year. scene is very Superman. <laughs> Very like the Clark, the uh, the well, they're called the Clarks in the show, but the Kents in uh, Superman mm-hmm. with their alien baby. Maybe I feel like that is a reference. Oh, the Kents and the Clarks. What if, a- you know what a funny thought I had was is what if that baby was like born in Irons's uh, pond? In his primordial pond. And what if there's an intelligent ceiling that all these butlers have? Like, it's not just that they're, like, new to the world. What if they only have a max IQ of, like, 60, and then this baby's just going to be like them? But these parents don't know that yet? (laughs) That's interesting. Wouldn't that be really... I mean, not funny, but very funny. I think we are led to believe that that opening scene is a flashback of sorts. Because they make a point to say that she is building the clock tower. But, right. but well, it's still being built. Cl- it's if you see, like they look out a window, and the tower itself is still under construction. Okay. Uh, it's it's it has a lot of like scaffolding I, and stuff. I on took it. it to be a flashback of maybe not like a long, like a distant flashback, but at least I'm gonna have a flashback because also there was this huge thing just landed on the earth that we don't yet entirely know for yeah, sure they're like, what, what it is, is that? and she's like it's mine yeah <laughs> and then the show and then the credits roll that is <laughs> i mean great. that's when yeah. my man is cooking yeah Lindelof, when it's just absolutely insane a lot of people cannot do that yeah like you got to give him credit i want to backtrack to last week's episode for a second because we were introduced to Lori blake mm. yeah uh, i wanted to talk about oh. her too gene smart is a killer Fantastic. she's a god she her character is awesome and as an actress she was i mean it's perfect casting she absolutely slays she's snarky and smart and kind of sexy and alluring yeah and the things that i said about the confused politics of the pilot are sort of evened out by her character a lot because she's coming in and saying hey this, this is all fucked you guys are all fucked yeah, yeah she like, need, why are you did that kind of like an almost audience surrogate character in there also big blue dildo 
And yeah, her get that big blue molded dildo. after Justin Thoreau himself. <laughs> yep, it if was. If we get Thoreau as as Doctor Manhattan, I will shit myself. <laughs> I also Man, on my dreams. I actually love Agent Petey too. Her little yeah. sidekick. His name's Dustin Ingram. He's doing a hell of a Thomas Middleditch impression. He's <laughs> yeah. he, he's a great actor. Like the, when those characters came in, I felt a lot more confident in the show. I yeah. So this. That episode kind of opens the world a little bit, not only because we're introduced to Lori, who is like one of the main characters from the comic book, uh, but we also see Washington, D.C., where the cops are not wearing masks. Mm. And we kind of learn how do the, the politics are playing out and some of the legislation yeah, we, we around everything. We meet like the everything. mayor who's running for the next president against Robert Senator. Redford. Or, oh, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I like that guy, too. Yeah. That guy good. looks like he should be, like, famous. Yeah. Like, that's He's a great to play a politician because yeah. he just looks like, you know, I trust you, but I definitely don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the show's fantastic. Uh, we're going to try to touch on it every week. Yeah, we're almost at the halfway point. Yeah. It's nine episodes. This was episode four. Before we move on to Paddington, I wanted to share, um, I had a dream. I've been having crazy dreams lately. Are they about... And I had one dream uh, that was kind of about Watchmen a little bit. <laughs> and I was in... So we haven't seen New York in this show yet. But I had a dream that I was in like this world's New York. And the squid was still there. Like 30 years later, it had just been like sitting there in the city. And the city had been like... The squid had been assimilated into the city, so highways and roads were built, like, around and into it. And I was in a car that was, like, retrofitted to navigate inside the squid. So uh, I hope that this actually happens in the yeah. show and you just, like, ruined it. You just spoiled everybody in America. So, uh, for, Damon, you know, <laughs> you're, hearing you're this, listening. I mean, come on the show, it's dude. It's not too late. This oh, by the way, did you guys catch the preview of next week's episode? No, I didn't. Yes. Did oh, I, my I, God. I, <laughs> it's going to be a Tim Blake Nelson yeah. episode. Oh, hell yes. I'm yeah, all in on very that. excited. I am. I'm constantly in awe of that choice working. Yeah, like every episode, I'm like, "How is this good? How is he good as this guy? He's so good." Yeah, he he's amazing. Tim Blake Nelson is just an incredible actor, but also like you would think that he would get cast as like a leader of the racists or something. Yeah, That's absolutely. what most people would do. He, is that great line about just like, "Well, he was a white man in Oklahoma, yeah, so did he, he just racist. out himself." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might have. I don't know. He's, all right. Well, that's Watchmen. It's fantastic. We're going to try to talk about it every week if we get the chance. But before we finish up, it's bear time. It's joyous, wonderful, exciting. The Daddington Hive is out. So this movie, I, I've, I saw it almost a whole year ago. And I didn't get a chance to rewatch it before the pod. So I'm, I'm going to need you guys to help me carry this one a little bit because you saw it a little bit more. Uh, recently but from what I remember this was the most delightful just optimistic thing I had ever seen uh, it's got Hugh Grant it's Hugh got Grant Brendan is the bad guy. Gleason it's... Uh, and it I, I remember um, I, I'm pulling up my, my letterbox review from, from about a year ago um, I watched it uh, Christmas or sorry New Year's Eve 2018 mm. um, what a way to take out the year yeah, yeah leave you with a sense of optimism for 2019 and i just noted like how this was the most perfect way to introduce um children 
to cinematic language of perfect script writing of setups and payoffs mm -hmm. how every character's little quirks and characteristics pay off in some yeah. way everything that happens is for a reason it's right. all one big machine every frame every moment every line of dialogue it's all economic and it's all necessary and it's all done with artistry and style because paul king this man he knocked it out of the park yeah, man I, I so you neither of you guys have seen the first paddington correct you know I haven't, but I really want to now because the first Paddington is great. It spends more time with just the family itself. We get a lot of Hugh Bonville and Sally it's Hawkins. It's Nicole in that Kidman, movie. right? As what? the villain? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, that's it's not as good as the first Paddington, but it's more about the whole like family aspects of this like orphan bear being found being brought into the family and hugh bonville is just amazing as this dude's like it's a fucking bear why are we just gonna take <laughs> home a bear and that's all incredible but yes no bangton 2 is just per because like you said you guys watched it and enjoyed the hell out of it without even seeing the first movie right. yeah which you can't really say that about most sequels of anything. It's like, oh shit, I haven't seen the last eight Marvel movies. Can I just jump in on this one? Oh, everybody's gone? Like, what's happening in the storyline right now? Where this is just, it's perfect for having all these little steps. It makes jail look like the most delightful yes. fun time ever. I want to be framed. I want to go to jail. That's like the jail that like Martha Stewart went to. Yes. <laughs> And she probably did exactly that. She probably introduced <laughs> them to Marmalade. Just made everything pink. And yeah, this yeah, this movie is like sweet as can be. The visual language of it, uh, like you said, is every bit as perfect and like uh, properly done as the the cinematic, like the writing of it. The pop up book stuff. Ugh. It's all it's all gorgeous and colorful, except when things are dark. And then this might shock you, but it gets a little darker yeah. visually. Uh, it's it's just a perfect little movie. It's you could say it draws quite a bit from Wes Anderson because it does. And the thing about Wes Anderson is he's good, too. Mm -hmm. So when you colorful successfully make a movie that takes some of his strategies, you actually made a good movie. Yeah, that's my take of the week. And it pays homage to Mission Impossible with that train sequence at the end oh, yeah. i was oh, watching it i was those. like holy shit yeah, paddington we're, we're, is tom cruise yeah right where now. paddington beats up the guy with the briefcase <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i i really i do love this movie this is a movie where like you can spoil it and it doesn't matter it's just a fun time either way it's just it, it this movie is just a blast it's so delightful the barbershop really scene like, is another good one this like i remember because it came out like early 2017 like january 2017 and it was like people were like putting on the best of the year list and it's like all right come on guys. right like, it can't be that fucking good but i understand why because this is kind of perfect for what it is and well it the heart of the movie rings truer than most of Wes Anderson's movies. If, yes. I, if I'm going to be honest, this movie has more of a soul. It's about an immigrant bear that comes <laughs> to a new land to make people's lives better. Yeah. And he's he's struggling to work minimum wage jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, the white man is looking down upon him. He is incarcerated, yeah. caged, mm -hmm. wrongfully. And, yeah. And then he is uh, saved by the underclass Yeah, in the end of the day. It's a beautiful story as old as time itself. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, it rings because they're both products that, like we were just talking about. Every movie is this wrestling match between uh, who's funding it and who's making it. 
you know, over who has the final say. But this is very British. I think the difference is that American kids movies like this get noted to death because you have these studio heads that are like, oh, it's not childish enough. You need to put more poop jokes in it and, uh, you know, YouTube influencer references or whatever garbage. Put Jacob Sartorius in Paddington 2. You got yourself a perfect But movie. I mean, so for in, also to that example, like of having, there are just people who don't like Paddington who aren't necessarily evil, like Peter Capaldi's character as this like neighborhood watch guy yeah. who's just suspicious of any outsider. And you see him and you're like, Peter Capaldi's like fucking like evil as shit in this <laughs> world. Like, what is he doing? What is he up to? It's called imperialism. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just. The British are racist. He just has yeah. like kind of a distrust where, of anything. Where different. is Paddington from? Isn't he South American? Yeah, South American, like oh. Peru or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh yep. my God. Yes. So we need to send this movie to the White House right now. Mm-hmm. We need to put it. Let's Be send... like Trump. You want to build a wall around Paddington? There's no way Trump has a Blu-ray player. We probably have to send him like a dirty, dusty DVD mm-hmm. and just be like, "Look, man." I think he's still on the laser disc. Yeah, we yeah. have to send him a series of Twitter videos <laughs> that are, are Paddington too. When you put them all together, I mean, it's I would call it flawless. Yeah. Like if if I were being critical of it, it's. I mean, you can call it uh, not provocative, I guess. I mean, what do you want? It's a kid's movie, and it's so perfectly tied up. It's like a fucking Christmas present, dude. I, I think the best thing about it is that it doesn't... If you put yourself in a child's shoes watching this movie, you don't feel talked down to. You don't feel like you're being kind of spoon-fed anything, and the movie doesn't treat you like an idiot. And I think that too many kids' movies treat kids like idiots. Yep. And this movie, it's not like trying to get kids to think about really cerebral shit, but it's not treating them like idiots either. It's not treating them like idiots, and it's not doing the things that most American kids' movies do where they have a formula and they're like, this is effective. This yeah. will make you cry. Yeah. It also, It's like, it's just watching, it's a pretty original story for i mean it has like elements of other things in it i gotta say but it's pretty original story of you don't think like oh yeah he's gonna get like every like you're saying every setup and payoff working out the guy who he fucked up his hair at the haircutting place is the the judge like that's just perfect perfect kids perfect screenwriting in general but especially for a kid's movie speaking to that scene also in particular and there are a few scenes like this uh that you got to give credit to the directing because it's like uh, old school style physical comedy that's universal because there are no words spoken. Uh, the the one is like the unfo- this Rube Goldberg of mishap that happens in the barbershop. Amazing. Yeah. Well directed. Truly incredible. You're never lost to what's happening. And it it is. It's much like uh, Charlie Chaplin movies where there's just this insane sequence of events that results in something silly. Uh, and then there's another one when he's watching Windows that's almost the exact same deal oh, where it's just beautiful to look at. So and it's good. it's making you laugh. And the other one the band is playing. Oh, I love the band. The band is amazing. I love yeah. it. It's in the first one, too. I love that whole touch. The which, by the way, we get that uh, after credits musical number. Oh, with Hugh Grant. oh, we're going to go. I I, I, have, I have so many thoughts on that. But the other big standout moment is the whole like marmalade sandwich montage in the yeah. prison that plays out. <laughs> Come on. I was like so elated seeing that, like that this little kids movie had so much cinematic artistry put behind it. So much color and just 
oozing with with positivity and craft. Craft. That's what this movie has. Yeah. I mean, there are like you could be the uh, the Peter Capaldi of the film world and just be like poke holes and stuff like that and just be like, oh, everybody in this prison, just like five people just escaped uh, because of this. I was watching this with a, a friend of the pod, Gaia, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah. No, he was he's in uh, jail for rape homicide. Um, don't worry. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, we had that. Me and Allison only had that same of, conversation. Only one like, of them is actually for? framed wrongly. Yeah. This is like a Shawshank kind of a thing where you're like, there's some bad people yeah. probably in this prison, but it doesn't matter. They all are just like, hey, we're in here for we're all in here for life. Yeah. And don't question what for. And right. we all can just like make some of our home recipes. Yeah. They all the they all become sweet, sensitive boys once they eat a marmalade sandwich. I, I, how does how does Brendan Gleeson say ma- marmalade? Marmalade. Mar- marmalade. I love. Uh, I don't know who the actor is, but the guy who's the uh, the warden of the prison. I really love that dude, and who he just it ends up with him just like reading them bedtime stories. Oh, the prisoners. So good. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's... If I have one single critique, it's that. Because you said that in the first one, the dad is kind of the villain. Is that what you said? No. Oh, no, no, who no. is he's it? not. It's who's Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. She's a but taxidermist. He is, Relu- he is he's like, reluctant, right? Yeah, he's the yeah. reluctant person so of the family. So in this movie, uh, they have been living with Paddington for an amount of time at this point, and he's still that guy. And it's at a certain point, I was like, what is wrong with you? Well, <laughs> so the first one, it's funny. I mean, the Daddington Hive really came after the first one because the first movie is a lot about fatherhood has a lot of themes of that and kind of how mothers are naturally the more uh, nurturing of any of the parents and everything else like that. And dads just kind of don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really that the first one, that's why I would say recommend the first one because it does touch into those family dynamics a bit more. Yeah. Cause this one, the only thing that really upset me is like, you know, we're led to believe that this Henry Brown sees Paddington as a son like character, maybe not as close as an actual son, but they've been together. He lives under his roof and then he's like, well, he's in jail. That's it. No need to investigate <laughs> well, farther. He still does. Like he still puts up the signs and everything else like that. He's still worried for him, but he's not like, I'm not going to go well, to jail for this. Imagine he should. He should go to jail for life. He should get the electric chair. Sally Hawkins is the only one. The real imagine if, if you have a nice white family <laughs> and this Peruvian, Brown bear waltzes in, acts like he owns the place. Yeah, you're gonna want him to be caged up. To be fair, that Peruvian bear is very polite. Yeah, he is very, very polite. He knows his manners. Well, I was thinking a lot about how there. It's almost like the equivalent. Like America does have a sort of equivalent to this movie, where this movie is like the most idyllic uh, Britain. Britain Mm -hmm. is a nation torn right now. Yeah, they are so close to the u.s uh it's you you wouldn't think they were in the same universe if you right. watched this movie but they, we have a lot of similarities there are some fucking problems over there yet through this movie we get a version of that country that is just it's like they are projecting the perfect them uh in a similar sense america when we make uh, a rampage or when we make Paddington is going to prevent Brexit from yeah, happening. Or, or when we make like Mark Wahlberg's Vegas shooting the movie part when, three. When we uh, <laughs> when we go ahead and green light uh, the has fallen franchise to have four more movies. Oh, how did we not talk about that? 
the, the has fallen franchises are Paddington. It's going to get sad. It's going to be like Orlando has fallen. It oh, is. God. But it, it is. Like, that is our version of, like, this is what we want people to think America is. Just this. Every city is a fucking metropolis, and there's always terrorists that are fucking with us for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Never explore why they hate us. So, are those movies supposed to have um, Gerard Butler in them? Could they just bring in somebody else for each one? Could it be like Renner has fallen? Could that be the <laughs> next one? Well, maybe Gerard Butler becomes Mr. President. Oh, And then he has to be shit. saved by a young hot man. A young hot a Renner. A young hot Renner. A young hot bear. Yeah, Paddington has fallen. Ben, ben, <laughs> no. ben Paddington <laughs> out there. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Paddington has fallen. I mean, it's just, it's just a prim and proper, sweet little uh, marmalade sandwich of a movie. And again... It's all about kindness because mm-hmm. Paddington is probably the kindest, sweetest, most loving little bear ever. And you just see that guy and you can't help yourself. You got to be except, like a except better for person. when he gives you the hard stare. The hard stare oh, is effective. That's right. The hard stare is effective. I was very concerned. Like it <laughs> stared into my Ben Wishaw's eyes stared into my soul there for a he second. He does kind of look a little bit like I, Ben Wishaw. Hell, yeah. of, a, hell is, of a voice this acting is a job, def- by the way. He should just do voice acting because I'm not sold on him as an actual actor. Um, He's getting Cloud Atlas uh, <laughs> as an Asian man. <laughs> he uh, can't sing as he tried to prove people wrong in Mary Poppins Returns, but uh, not the best. Um, but the, the animation of Paddington is fantastic. It's going to age too. great. It's going to age beautifully because it's, really well it's done. such a saturated movie. Yeah. You don't really care about like any like minor flaw because they do have photorealistic and the photorealistic. Well, I'll tell you one good. thing. Uh not I haven't seen the first one, so I can't actually talk shit about it. But I did accidentally start it because I use an illegal website to watch these movies. What? It's on Which? HBO. What? Uh, yeah, but I get no thrill out of that. <laughs> um. So and I he's got to go on, on LimeWire. And, and this just... web, well, this website that uh, I use has a bug sometimes where it'll start a, a different movie than the one that you click on. Did you watch a Paddington porno? And it, God damn it! I don't know. I thought it. <laughs> I thought maybe it was the first one, and I there was a big gap in between them in terms of like where did all the sex go. <laughs> um, no, it was actually like I did start the first one, and I was watching it with my girlfriend Allison, and we were both kind of the animation wasn't perfect. Like it, this movie had a lower budget than the second one, obviously, and it's all bears in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and we and the some of the jokes were not landing, and I was like. If this is the Paddington that everyone's telling me about, then this isn't the one. Right. And it literally wasn't. Like, that's how I, like, I was like, this, Paddington 2 better be flawless. And so then I, we put it on and it actually was yeah. flawless. So I, I, well, I mean, the only time that we really see the actual woods where, or the forest where Paddington is from is in the very beginning of this movie whenever he finds his hat and uh, mm-hmm. through, like, kind of, uh, like trippy visual sequence that he has in the prison itself. Oh, that's like, right. Where it like that, grows and that that all that stuff looks amazing. Which I mean, that only makes sense that it's going to look better as years go on with animation technology. But I uh, I still I, I think that the animation itself looks better in this movie too because they're using more real sets versus creating like a jungle and yeah. having multiple of these bears talk to each other versus just one bear and like a room full of humans two more things one i did tear up when he is reunited with his aunt lucy mm-hmm. yeah. that was yeah. beautiful it's a, it's a beautiful scene it was it was very emotional in the house i'll tell you that and two 
we got to talk about Hugh Grant. Yeah, and I was how gonna, fantastic he is. Hugh Grant is so good. My God, there's a lot of overlap of locations between this and Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Cloud Atlas because there's a lot of carryover between Cloud Atlas and Paddington yeah. too. A lot of same roles, same same yeah. people. Jim Broadbent is even in both um, of these yeah. movies. Also, ben, just Hugh Grant like dressing up as different <laughs> characters. Yeah. Ben Wyshaw playing a brown person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But Hugh Grant is just delightful. He is chewing he up is, this role. So, yeah. You know, and on this pod, we tend to throw around the phrase, making a meal of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the definition. This oh. is, like, if we were to name an award after it, the making a meal of it award is the Hugh Grant award. But it's like, it's like it. they made this role specifically for him to do this. I, it's this, tailor-made. This is, like, truly, like, when pe- it, again, another f- turn of phrase that people say all the time, just, like, it had a blast on set. You know that he did? Just think about that scene when he's by himself in the attic wearing heavy eyeliner and talking to himself through different characters. He's like, yes, Shakespeare, what do you think of that? <laughs> like, he's just going all in as hammy or role as possible and he is just it he's killing it's, it yeah he's so charming while being evil where i think nicole kidman the first one does play it a little bit she's like kind of scary in a weird way and mm. you're like are you actually going to kill paddington bear yeah because she's a i had no worry yeah she's a taxidermist <laughs> we're like this i'm like nah, hugh grant can't do anything wrong <laughs> he's just he's just a self-obsessed dude he just exactly. trying to fund his one man's play yeah the post-credit scene or the mid credit scene, I guess. It is in the running for, like, the best post credit scene of all time. It's one of the best musical numbers ever put on film. It's so good. <laughs> it's, so, it's incredible. You yeah. get the band coming back. You get to see the prison one last time. And you see firsthand the power of Paddington. The power of this kind, golden-hearted bear. Mm-hmm. That he came into this grimy old prison and he left it a pink, gorgeous, dancing paradise. Yeah. yeah, it it the way it looks when he leaves is better than my house looks. It's better than anybody's house ever. Yeah, he essentially was uh, Julie Andrews going into that uh, possibly Nazi German household and <laughs> teaching all those kids about the sound of music. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's... without teaching them music, but. By the end, they yeah. know music, motherfucker. <laughs> you look that bear in the eyes, you know music. You can sing a song. And Hugh Grant is definitely dan- like singing and dancing himself. I don't think there's any overdub or, no, or body he's, double. No, he's or going anything. for it. He's yeah. actually going for it. Yeah. Which I, I mean, that's the whole message of Paddington is kind of like a very simple one, but it's just like leave something better than the way that you found it. And it's very simple, yeah. but that's something that we can still all. Take into account, like we at this point, you've probably either heard or haven't heard yet, but it's dropping in the next few days of Jojo Rabbit, our review of that. And it's kind of like that whole thing where it's like maybe we shouldn't have to make movies that like Nazis are bad, but it's still always good to tell people like, hey, Nazis are bad. It's still always good to remind people like, hey, just be kind to others. Leave something better than the way that you found it. Yep. And I think that's why everyone should watch Paddington 2. It's one of the most easy to recommend movies I've ever seen yeah Any, it is a movie for literally everyone yeah. whether you're five or a hundred and five yeah i think you'll take something out of it exactly and that about does it for this week's episode of we bought a mic please be kind to each other and eat some marmalade sandwiches
You guys like marmalade? What's your favorite kind of marmalade? I love marmalade. Marmalade is delicious. Mango, peach. Um, mango a, marmalade is really good. I'm, I'm more a, of I'm I like a, blackberry preserves more than any ooh, of that. That sounds big, good. Big you like to have some uh, have those seeds in your in your yeah. food. Thanks for listening. Um, please check out our review of Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I think next week is Ford versus Ferrari. If I'm uh, not Believe mistaken, so. after that, knives out and uh, yeah, yeah, we did get a chance yeah, to see yeah, knives get out. Knives out. Guess what, guys? We yeah, we we, uh, we did yeah. get a chance to see that. We'll be reviewing that, and then uh, also the Irishman, and hopefully waves. Um, also, Rick and Morty is back. So yeah, watched it today. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be talking about that. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you can always email us at webottomike@gmail.com at gmail, and follow us at webottomike on social media. Check out us uh check us out on twitter and letterbox instagram and uh yeah please again be kind be loving just a reminder everybody keep a marmalade sandwich underneath your hat so if a bully ever tries to bully you and he tries to punch you you stick marmalade in his mouth bye, bye.